Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Brothers Banter. With you, as always, is Brother Raphael. And I'm Brother JD. It's good to be with you all. And on this next episode of Get to Know the Brothers, we have uh, someone very special, very near and dear to Brother JD and myself. Uh, And even though we met this brother at two different points in time, he's had the same great impact on us. Uh, I don't want to give a lot more. We'll let him introduce himself. But with us today is Brother V. Kenneth Curley, the V. Kenneth Curley. Welcome, brother. Well, it's, thank you, guys. It's wonderful to be here on this Brothers Banter broadcast, the three Bs. Uh, and it's it was great to be asked, uh, and I'm, I'm great to, it's great to be here. And, you know, I, yes, I did meet you both at very different junctures of life, uh, as you're very kind, what you said, but both of you have enriched and continue to enrich my own life at different points of it. Uh, one back at Central Catholic, where Brother J.D. was my student in freshman religion class. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what you learned, but you don't have to say anything about that. <laughs> Is that where you got all your white hair from? <laughs> most of them. Most wow. of them. And because uh, it was not this white back then. Uh, and then Brother Raphael, I met him out here, and it's been a joy. So, um yeah, it's wonderful to be here. I'm speaking to you now from my room at St. Mary's College High School in Berkeley. That's great, brother. And uh, so how about we start at the ba- basics? Can you give sure. a little background about yourself, who you are, where you're from? Well, I'm Pittsburgh born and raised and very, very close to where Brother J.D. was born and raised in Penn Hills. So mm-hmm. if anybody out there in the broad listening group knows about Penn Hills, I'll be shocked. But, but uh, yeah, I grew up in Penn Hills, uh, born and raised, uh, lived there most of my, well, most of my life, surely. Uh, went to St. Bartholomew's Grammar School and went to Central Catholic High School. We'll get more of that, we'll get to more of that a bit later. Duquesne University and then went, also went to school, uh, college or undergraduate school in Chicago, St. Xavier's College. Uh, now it's St. Xavier's University, but uh, then it was St. Xavier's College. But loved my upbringing, had a great family. I, really, I cannot say there aren't enough superlatives to, to tell you about the wonderful family I have. Been very blessed. You know, it's been a, it's been a charmed, idyllic adolescence and youth. Uh, and I, you know, how did it happen to me? It happened. It was supposed to have happened. But I'm grateful every day for it, really. That's awesome, brother. And uh, so tell us about your most recent adventure in ministry. Well, this is pandemic broadcast. So you can might well imagine with me, there is not the most uh, um, exciting adventures. This past year, I've been sort of, I've been on the bench. Uh, And in the beginning, uh, as it started out, you know, we'll get to previous assignments and how I was brought to back to St. Mary's after having been here for about 15 years teaching and, and short term as principal. Uh, I came back with not a clear vision of what was going to be placed in, in my way or what in whose way I was going to be placed. So I was doing little things, being a special assistant to the president here. Uh, and then the pandemic hit and there was nothing. I mean, and I watched these poor teachers and administrators really work so hard at putting things together so that the kids back home learning virtual 
virtually, uh, could continue being engaged. And, and, you know, I was marveling at it. So I think I was, um, I was a bystander or certainly, I don't know, not a participant. You hear that? There's a phone ringing. Can you hear that? Okay. I'm not going to answer it because you guys are more important. It, is but, that so a I, landline? So, well, no, not my landline. No, that's oh. on the wall behind me. But no, that's actually a cell phone, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. I actually have one. I've gotten into the 21st century, I guess, maybe. Is, is it still a flip phone, brother? No, no, I, got, I had to get rid of it. It's, that old flip phone just died. It just died. It wouldn't keep the time. It wouldn't give me <laughs> messages, nothing. It didn't do anything. So it was. I've had it since a little after 9-11, so I guess it was time to get rid of it. Anyway, back to what I was talking about. I was a, I was a participant in a very passive sort of way in the sense of um, finding out what did I get out of this kind of existence here, this pandemic existence. And it was being able to watch and learn how these folks really conducted business, not as usual, uh, and having much more time to pray, be still, and listen. So, I mean, if there's an active part, that's very active if you're going to put yourself into it. So I did, and uh, I now I continue to. And as we sort of ease out of things, well, obviously life will change for me as it will for many others. But so there has been no active part of ministry that I've experienced over these many years. Nice. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your community before we get into your your story, the community you're in now. You want you the community here at St. Mary's? Yeah. Wonderful community. I, of course, I've known these brothers for many years. And to be back with them again, uh, in fact, the second day I was here, it felt like I never left. It really was. I just got right back into it. Uh, Brother Edmund, Brother Jonathan, the director, Brother Dan, myself, uh, Mr. Puck, the president of St. Mary's College High School, an absolutely amazing individual. And Brother Rafa knows him, so he, mm-hmm. he knows exactly what kind. Brother J.D., do you know do you know him, J.D.? No, I, I haven't been to St. Mary's College. Pretty amazing, pretty amazing. He was He's very much like on the, in the um, mold of Brother Bob Schaefer, that kind of dynamism, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, he, and then we have a young fellow here named Matt Chiantella. He's an aspirant. Uh, He's, a, he's an amazing human being. He's amazing. Uh, he's, he's like this living cartoon, and I don't say that in a, in a derogatory sense. I mean, he's perpetual motion. He could have been drawn by Warner Brothers. He just He's all <laughs> over the place. In addition to being all over the place and a bunch of kinetic energy, an amazingly sharp individual, completely engaged in the school, completely immersed in the, in the lives of the students. And a very tough time, he came from New Orleans. Uh, he was quarantined here for 14 days in a, in a room downstairs. I mean, he's, he shows amazing resiliency and vibrancy. So he's a, a great find for community. and is an enormous find for the school. Yeah, so that's the community. It's a great community. Uh, out of my personal curiosity, because I know he was yes. teaching Latin in De, at De La Salle in New Orleans. What's he teaching he at St. Mary's? He's teaching, oh, I should remember this. He's teaching some sort of, <laughs> good. He's teaching some sort of history. Uh, okay. He's teaching 
epistemology, uh, and he's completely involved with student activities. Now, one might think, well, what kind of student activities do you have during this virtual learning? Tons. Mm-hmm. Here, anyway, tons. I can't speak for any place else. So he's very busy with the kids. He's busy in in classroom. Uh, He's looking forward. I think we start back in part tomorrow. Okay, wonderful. Okay. So I think it's just very exciting for him. I said uh, he'll be in an actual classroom, you know, the whole whole nine yards, because I think people are zoomed out by now, especially Mm -hmm. kids. Kids are absolutely zoomed out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he'll be, he's epistemology history courses, and he's not teaching religion or English or anything like that. And I asked him if he missed teaching Latin, which is classics or his first love. He does, but eventually, I said, eventually you may very well get back to that. But once again, he's very resilient. He's amenable to whatever comes his way. So I, that's that's a great sign. Wonderful. That's awesome. Well, brother, I think, uh, I think I'm just going to hand it over to you, and I'm just going to prompt you with how were you introduced to the brothers, I know oh, you mentioned. Oh, this is a wonderful story to tell. And then, uh, yeah, if we have any questions, we'll, we'll cut you off. But otherwise, I, we're going to give you the mic here. Well, jump jump in when you when I'm going in another direction that I shouldn't be going in because this Definitely. broadcast this isn't the Jerry Lewis telethon that lasts for days. <laughs> right? So, uh, but I'm looking down at some of the questions you had given me. You know, sort of prompts that you had given me earlier. Well, the, the best thing is, is how did I become uh, introduced to the brothers? When I was at St. Bartholomew's, now, J.D., this is a very different St. Bartholomew's than you knew. Than I would have known. Uh, this would have been 1950s to whatever it was, mm-hmm. 64. So I, was, I got on the streetcar, went, got off in front of the Central Catholic High School on Fifth Avenue. I never saw a brother before. There were no open houses we went to. We... We took this. We took the test, entrance test at St. Bartholomew's. The sister principal came in. The boys were in one room. The girls who would go wanted to test for St. Paul's Cathedral High School and the other uh, Ursuline Academy and the other places were in another room. So when the results came in, sister came back and said, um, "I'll never forget this. There were I don't forget how many, but there was one young man who didn't make it. But it was just handled like this." Uh, those of you on this side of the room, you you will you made it into Central Catholic. You you passed. I'm sorry, Arthur. You didn't make it. All right, now go back to class. I mean, it was just like that. Oh wow! So, so I had no intro to the brothers or to the school. The first day of school was the first day I saw it. So I will go up the steps, these long steps, up to up to the main entrance, and there was a. Big, tall, of course, he was, to a freshman kid, he was big and tall. A big, tall brother, dressed as you would uh, know a brother. His name was Brother Edwin Anthony. And Brother Edwin Anthony was the dean of discipline, and he looked it, and I was scared, as were every, was everybody else coming up those steps. We didn't mess around. We got in. It was a school at that time of 1,750 boys, and there were 40, 4-0, 40 brothers in that school. So it was, there were a few late teachers, mostly brothers. <clears throat> it was, excuse me, it was like I went into Disneyland. And here's what I mean. <laughs> there were these odd creatures dressed in these black robes with these white bibs. And it was the biggest assortment of characters I think I've ever seen outside of my own house. But I mean, it was the biggest assortment of characters I've ever seen. 
but completely and thoroughly enjoyable. It was very quickly I, I learned through daily exposure and experience that these men were nothing like the parish priests. Mm-hmm. They were no, they didn't even resemble Monsignor Helzesauer. He wasn't Monsignor, he was Father Helzesauer and, and his assistants. They were much more serious-minded kind of men and very focused on one thing. These, what I quickly noticed about the brothers at Central, and this was my real intro to them, they always had time for us. They always had time to spend tutoring. Uh, at that time, there were many young brothers. There were coaches. Uh, they were all over the place. And they were a major influence. And I knew something within me clicked saying, I, I want to do this. Because if these characters can do this uh, and, and be influential in such a positive way, and they were men very strong about their faith. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't syrupy. It was, it, was very, it was a very strong kind of witness to faith to young men. Again, I, you know, I went up the steps in 1964, a very different world than it is now. But I still think when you go to a school where the brothers are, uh, whether it's back east, whether it's out west, doesn't matter. That brother is that strong representative of faith. And that's what stuck to me. So that's really what drew me. And there were Brother Maurice of Mary, who, who was a, 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 an inspiration, probably one of the, the larger than life characters there, but dedicated professional, dedicated to his faith and so forth, and dedicated to us. So, I mean, you, you can't get better than that. Mm-hmm. That, that was my introduction to the brothers. And so uh, that, that's what made me want to join. Now, just because I wanted to join didn't mean it happened. Uh, I don't know if you want me to go into all of that, I, I, but it's, this is hope. Anybody out there listening, if you don't make it once, just keep trying. We're, you're going to say something, Brother Ruff. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to give a, a little quick spiel into that, that that would be great Wait. because I think that's part of your own vocation journey, and that's kind it of is. something we really promote on the show. It is. I mean, like so many others who went in, they went to the juniorate and they went to the division and so forth and so on. Well, I knew when I was a junior in '67 that I wanted to join the brothers. So I went to the brother who was the vocation director, a gentleman long since dead now. He left the brothers, actually, got married, left the brothers. <laughs> but he he told me very point blank, he said, um, well, he said, your grades are not high enough to get into LaSalle College. It hadn't become university yet. Uh, therefore, you don't have a vocation. Well, what did I know? I was a 17-year-old guy. I didn't know if, if he said that he equated poor grades, excuse me, Low grades, yeah. <laughs> no, not poor grades. He thinks goofy grades like that, but he associated that completely coupled them with lack of a vocation, which doesn't really make much sense when you look at it now. Yeah. And yeah. years later, as a brother, I told this to one of the brothers there, Brother Benedict. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were having lunch one day, and I just happened to mention. He said, "Why didn't you come to one of us?" I said, "Yeah, the brother spoke. That was the end of it." Well, I tried and I kicked around and I went to Duquesne and I did all kinds of things like folks would do. After another try that wasn't successful, uh, you know, I, I I won't go into all that. It's not, it's no secret, but it's too lengthy. Finally, finally, I said, well, I'm not going to, I got gun shy about the brothers of the Christian schools. I'm not going to try them anymore. Let me go to a group 
that really does the exact same thing, looks the same way, lives the same way. So I, I rode away to all these orders and visited and wasn't. But then I went to the Marist Brothers in Schools and mm -hmm. I had a very happy association for them with them for over 10 years, taught, did all, did all kinds of wonderful things. And, uh, but that gnawing, that yearning or whatever it was that kept putting me back there. So one day I said, well, I'm going to try and see what happens if I can, uh, you know, transfer over. Lo and behold, it worked. And by that time I was out with the Marist Brothers of the Schools, I was out in California already at St. Elizabeth High School in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And I knew our brothers from St. Mary's, funny enough. And that's, it sort of went that route. But I transferred over and it's been, oh my God, well, 30 some years now. So it worked, it worked. And I, you know, I, even though it led to points of frustration for me, and I, maybe this is a message of hope out there for anybody who might be kicked around to the curb every now and then, uh, hang in there because everything, as we all know, happens in God's good time and not in ours. Mm -hmm. And though, you, though I was not aware of it at the time, uh, I certainly, as I looked through that rearview mirror, I said, oh, I understand why this happened. Because who knows, maybe I wasn't ready. Maybe if I would have entered in 67 when I wanted to, I might not have stayed. Those were tumultuous years coming up. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. It worked out the way God wanted. So I'm very, I'm very, I'm not going to complain. I'm very grateful every day that it did. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wonderful. That, that's, a, that's a wonderful story. Every time you say it, I just, I agree. And I, I share a little bit, right? In the sense that not that I joined a different order or anything, but that my, my long awaited arrival to the novitiate uh, was, was a test of patience. Uh. Yeah. And you know, when I look back on it too, there were, and, and we all know brothers like this, they're good and wonderful men, but they entered directly from high school. Mm -hmm. So they were always, uh, I don't want to come across, they've been taken care of in the best sense of that because they should have been. Yeah. I and others who entered later or under a later program I was out there paying bills, working. I had a real working knowledge of life and what it held. Mm -hmm. And so consequently, you know, I didn't, I wasn't culture shocked by much of anything or whatever you want to call it. There was, a, again, there was a purpose for all of that. And, you know, I don't regret any of it. I have some regrets, obviously, as everybody does in life. But I would think overall, they're very minor ones. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that I, I know they can't do anything about it. You know, you can't do anything about the past. It's finished and uh, just keep moving ahead. And I guess I'm very blessed. I'm very fortunate. And every day when I wake up, the first prayer is one of thanks because, and I mean it sincerely. I don't know how I got to this point. I turned 70 last July. I don't know how I got to this point, but it's certainly the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph and everybody else up there pushing me along and helping me out. Mm -hmm. So I, that I believe. You know, brother, that's, that's really a story of resiliency, um, personal resiliency and, and dedication to your faith, uh, which I, I imagine for not only myself, for Brother Rafa here, but for many others, it's a, quite a touching story. Thank you. It is. Thank you very much. It was, yeah. was fun to tell it. I have no, I have no qualms about telling. Yeah. And it would have been a lot easier just to throw in the proverbial towel and, and walk away and continue with life, but you remain dedicated to it. And 
wanted to well, see where persistent God would individual for whatever it happens to be. I mean, if I if I see something that I, again, it, it, ah, if I see something that I want. Now, here's where you have to separate. Where right? not you. Here's where someone, me in this case, has to separate. <clears throat> excuse me. What do I want as opposed to what does God want for me? Mm-hmm. And though some people may think that's sort of some something hokey or some byline or catchphrase, it isn't. Um, generally, as I look back on my life at this point, I think to myself, what if I would have gotten my way in X, Y, or Z? And I can think of several instances where I, I wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work out that way. And I will not make any bones about it at the, that time. At that point in time, I was disappointed. And never really angry, but disappointed. And frustrated to a point to closest enough to anger, but frustrated. Time passes, heals all wounds, calms all passions, et cetera, et cetera. You look back and say, oh, my goodness, had I gotten my way, <clears throat> it would have never worked out. Never, never, never. Thank you, Jesus. So it's true. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, brother, you've lived a very uh, happy religious life and even before religious life. Uh, so what, what is one thing that you think? Uh, well, let me rephrase the question. Yeah. Tell us what it was like to give your life uh, to service. Give, to give one's life to service mine. Uh, I always think of what kind of an individual was I before I made this formal commitment. And I was always one, I was always a a quote unquote, a pleaser. You know, I always wanted to do for folks. Uh, Whether I was a kid or whether I was a teenager, teenager, whatever. This dimension of our life is not something that would be difficult for me to do. I think because I wanted to do this for such a long time and to teach and to be available to young people as those brothers were available to me, giving their life to service, it, wa- it wasn't difficult. And it wasn't difficult to formalize it. In fact, that was the point of excitement, I think, in the sense of, wow, I'm really doing this. And I'm really going to say yes to this now, obviously, when I said yes to this, I said no to other things that I thought I might have wanted to achieve or accomplish or, or experience. Whatever. Not a moment's hesitation and not a moment's regret of having made that commitment to, to service. So, yeah, I, it's, it's almost natural. It's a natural thing for me, again, to be able to make sure that others are somehow taken care of because I always know that somehow in some way my own needs will be met throughout that. So I just keep going. I don't, I'm sorry to say I don't give it a whole lot of thought really. Uh, no, but thank you. Thank you for your honest answer there. Uh, well, as we round out uh, this, this awesome interview, brother, what, what it gives you hope for the future of our Institute? There are people who are very prone to despair. They're, they're negative folks all over the place. So it would be, and it's much easier to do that, throw up one's hands and say, well, what can you do? There's not much you can do. Uh, religious life is experiencing, you know, a, a dry period or however you want to title it. 
and maybe we should just hunker down and take care of ourselves and don't worry about it. And, and there have been many religious congregations and institutes who have done that or many districts or provinces and so forth. My hope is that we, well, my hope is, is, is very optimistic hope. I really do believe that the vocations are out there. Uh, there are many young brothers uh, who are witness to that and who do that, yourselves included. But I, the, the proof of this is God places us, I go harken back to what I said before, God places us all where we need to be when we need to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think this, this dryness or this big spell without vocations should be paid attention to just like this pandemic and the quiet that it provides where we say nothing is happening. Ooh, there's plenty happening. There's plenty happening. There's plenty happening in that quietness of no brothers coming into the division and no brothers taking vows. What do we as brothers have to pay attention to? Why isn't this happening? So that same Holy Spirit that provides the guidance and the, and the vocations and the response to them is the same way that saying, okay, boys, they got to pay attention to what's going, what's not going on, and why do you think this is not happening? And what do you have to cleanse or renew or refresh about what exists currently to make it happen? Mm-hmm. So are you are you living the life you're supposed to be living? And I'm not talking about having a big face like a church door and being sullen and dour. I'm talking about living it with vibrancy and, and instead of hearts to, well, you know, there's not enough brothers and we're not getting any. Is that what you're paying attention to? And you both will understand this thoroughly. You're standing in front of the class, and I've done it. Shame on me. But there are 28 kids in the class and you have 30 on the register. Two aren't there. You spend the first 10 minutes of class yakking and nagging about, you know, those two are never around and the other 28 are sitting there waiting to be taught. So it's it's similar to that. Let's not worry about who's not here. Maybe concern ourselves with what we need to do so that young men will find this a very appealing life. So are we doing the work we have promised to do through our vows to educate? Yeah. Are we living this I'm a big one on this one. Are we living the regularity of religious life? I'm not talking stringent, bat your head around regularity, but there's a regularity of life that the founder knew it all so well. Are are we presenting ourselves as religious uh, with with an interest and love of life and and a knowledge of what's current, but also an appreciation and presentation of what's been the best of it? If we're doing all of that, then God will bless us because we say the work is yours. Well, it is. So I think right now we have really fine brothers leading off the vocation thrust. Because of that and because of the, I'm almost I'm almost going out on eggshells to say this, but all, because of the small t traditional approach that seems to have been working over these past years with other groups, I'm not talking about radicalism in either direction mm-hmm. talking about this is who we are this is what we do and so forth that kind of approach appeals to a, a young person today because they want 
I think they want to be freed from needless ambiguity. They want clear-cut boundaries of yes and no. They're not going to be insulted if you say, gee, you can't do this, or we don't do this, or whatever it is. Represent yourself well, clearly. And, you know, like when field was a field of dreams and they will come, well, they will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in droves like years past, but that was a very unusual time. That wasn't typical. Uh, it, it was lovely, but it wasn't typical. But look at the retention rate, too. Yeah. So I think my hope is in who walks through that door and is interested. But then we've attracted these young guys. Now, how is it? how are they held? What is it about us that holds them and wants them to say, I want to be part of this? So my hope is twofold, that, these, that there are young men out there when I say young, you're 70, everybody's young. But, when you, <laughs> but there are young men and young professionals out there for all different walks of life who say, I want this. And then my second part of the hope is, okay, I hope that we can remain, we meaning who have been in for a great long time and continue, continue to serve until you can't mm-hmm. and provide the example. And even if there's a brother in that community who cannot work anymore, who is retired due to age, ailment, whatever, that man is still witness value in that community to that young man. So I, the, the hope lies within the new, new folks coming in, but also that we have the wisdom and understanding to know how to conduct ourselves so that we're still vibrant and do work, work hard, but do it with joy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Agreed. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, brother, thank you very much for spending this, uh, this lovely time with us. We really, well, truly appreciate it. Oh, I think it's, it's great. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it so much. I can't wait to see you both in person. Yes, I, God I, willing. I, and I can't wait to get back to Pittsburgh for a visit, but that's not going to happen for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we end as we end all things? Sure. Live Jesus in our hearts. Forever. Forever.